There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Well, I want you to open the Word of God with me, please, to John chapter number 20. And in the two meetings we've had already today, we've walked through a great portion of this chapter, and it is rich. Oh, don't you love the Word of God? Every time you dip into this well, you come up with something. Every time. It never gets stale. Now, you might get stale, and a preacher can be boring. But the Word of God is never boring. The Word of God is perennially fresh. And there's a section of this chapter right in the middle, right in the heart of the chapter that we've not yet looked at. I think it's most appropriate that we look at it on this particular night. John chapter 20 and verse number 19, the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, might I say this is resurrection evening. There's a lot of talk about resurrection morning. I'm glad for resurrection morning. Look at me just a minute before we read on. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the same at all time of the day and the night? Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus and his power is always the same? So the, the initial euphoria has worn off. By the way, emotion does wear off. You let emotion run your life, it'll ruin your life. I know so many Christians who are on a religious roller coaster, up and down, in and out, on and off, hot and cold. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they're not following Jesus, they're following their feelings. And I know the feelings of that resurrection morning had already worn off. You know how I know it? Look at the rest of the verse. Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Wait a minute, I thought you were all excited. The tomb is empty. The women say they saw him, and he's alive. Amen, preacher, amen. We're still scared to death about those Jews. And here they are, Sunday night. The Bible says the first day of the week. Did you know that Sunday is the only day in the New Testament that God designates by its number? It is the only day of the week that the Holy Spirit chose to say, I'm going to attach a number for significance to this day. It is referred to as the first day of the week. John referred to it as the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day. And this isn't my message tonight, but let me meddle just for a moment. May I? I still believe that the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. And I don't think part of the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. I think all of the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. And we've allowed far too many things to interfere with a day that God ought to be glorified and honored and remembered. And I want to challenge you. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the folks who came back on resurrection evening. But I want to challenge you to guard the Lord's day in your home because there's something special about this day where we come to worship the Lord. And so the Bible says they're gathered here on this Sunday night for fear of the Jews. Can you imagine? All the doors are shut. They're bolted. 
All the windows, the shades are down. Pull the shades down. Pull the shades down. We don't want anybody to see us. We don't want anybody to hear us. We don't want anybody to know we're in here. Look at the end of the verse. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. By the way, he had to say that because they thought they were scared a minute ago till Jesus walked through the wall. Now they're really scared. <laughs> Trembling. And the first words out of his mouth, don't you love it? Thank you for this, Lord. Peace be unto you. By the way, they had to figure out pretty quick it was him because in John chapter 14, just before he left them, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And here he says the very same words, peace be unto you. By the way, isn't it wonderful when Jesus hijacks a meeting? That's wonderful. I'm in meetings uh, almost every day of my life. One of the great dangers of that, if I might give a personal word, is that if you're not careful, it can become very mechanical. Pretty soon, you know, it gets going through the motions, just going through the motions. And I will tell you something. Jesus doesn't want us just going through the motions. He wants us meeting with him. So here they are. They're all gathered together. They use a little sanctified imagination. I hope it's sanctified. Can you imagine being in that room that night? What their conversation must have been about? I wonder what Peter said. I wonder what John said. John said, you know, Peter, I got to the tomb before you did this morning. I outran you. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are saying, you know, the women said they saw him. Mary said she talked to him. She said he called her by name. I don't know what we're going to do. Troubled they are. Mm. At wit's end, you know, a lot of God's people are talking like lost people today. Wringing their hands and talking about how bad the world is. Everybody's favorite verse now is evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's everybody's favorite Bible verse. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're not careful, it'll become an excuse for not believing God for what God can do. And I remind you that when he said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, he did not say that his ability would wax less and less. And while those religious leaders, the Jews, are scurrying around below that upper room down below on the cobblestone streets of the old city of Jerusalem, and while people are talking about this Jesus that is, that is dead, but some people say he's risen from the dead, and while these disciples are wringing their hands trying to figure out what the future holds, listen to me, Christ was alive and well and had everything under control. And I want to remind you, our God is greater. No wonder he says, peace be unto you. Read on. Look at verse 20. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. <laughs> that helps me. Jesus says, look, fellas, in case you're still not clear, look at this. You recognize those? And notice their response. The Bible says in verse 20, then... Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Let me tell you, you get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, it'll do your heart good. It'll bring gladness and joy and peace. By the way, when real revival comes, part of the, part of the byproduct of that is a renewed joy and peace among God's people. It really is. Now hear me, joy is never the goal. Joy is the byproduct. Jesus is the goal. 
So if you're trying to be happy, you're probably not going to be happy. But if you seek Jesus and get a fresh glimpse of him, this is wonderful, in his presence, he'll give you joy. Then were the disciples glad. I remember when, when Jacob in the Old Testament saw Joseph for the first time. Remember that? After being dead, in his mind, dead all those years. And now he's back from the dead. And the Bible says his heart revived within him. I think that's what happened to these disciples. I mean, they're dead men. They're dead men. Not only is their Messiah dead in their minds, they're dead. They're going to be killed. They're going to be crucified just like their master was. They're dead in their own mind. But one moment in the presence of Jesus Christ, and suddenly their heart revived in them again and look at verse number 21 then said Jesus to them again peace be unto you as my father has sent me even so send I you and when he had said this he breathed on them and saith unto them receive ye the Holy Ghost whosoever sins ye remit they remitted unto them and whosoever sins ye retain they're retained. And we've studied already his conversation with Thomas, but just jump down to verse 26 again for a moment because when he comes back for the second meeting, it says, And after eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, What's he say, church? I've marked in my Bible in verse 19, peace be unto you. In verse 21, peace be unto you. In verse 26, peace be unto you. Sounds like Jesus wants peace to be unto them, doesn't it? I want you to do something tonight. On a piece of paper, maybe the back of your bulletin or somewhere, I want you to write two words. Would you write two words down? I'd like you to write the word resurrection. And that's what we're all about today, isn't it? The resurrection of Christ, our risen Savior. Let's write the word resurrection. And then I want you to put a little equals sign next to it. And I want you to write another word, if you will, please. I'd like for you to write the word revival. I think, Pastor, this is the most appropriate Lord's Day to begin a revival meeting. In fact, I can't think of a better Sunday to start a revival meeting because do you know what resurrection means? It means the same thing as revival. You know what it means? Life again. On the very day that the Lord Jesus came again from the dead, aren't you glad he didn't stay dead? He rose from the dead alive forevermore. On the same day, he shows up in a Sunday evening meeting to a bunch of disciples and gives to them principles about true revival. The Christ who said, I am life, and the Christ who rose from the dead said, now let me apply this to where you're living. I was preaching a few weeks ago and. South Florida, a wonderful church, wonderful pastor, and sweet people. And that particular meeting, I was preaching through the little book of Haggai. It's only two chapters long. It's a great little book. It's a book about revival in so many ways and restoration. I think it was the second night that I was there. A lady came up to me in the lobby of the church. She was a very well-dressed lady up in years, but very articulate and well-spoken and she said to me, Preacher, I've been praying, and this was her term. She said, I've been praying for a Holy Ghost revival. By the way, don't let that term frighten you. Pardon me, but we've let the charismatics rob the Baptist of the truth. We've let people who've gone beyond Scripture rob us of Scripture. And for the record, let me just start tonight and say, I love the Holy Ghost. You know why I love the Holy Ghost? Because he's the one who told me about Jesus. 
And if it wasn't for the sweet Holy Spirit, I wouldn't even know Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. How many of you know you're saved? Would you raise your hand? Then that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. As a matter of fact, on the day you got saved, he moved into your house. By the way, he doesn't rent, he buys. And he doesn't move in and out, in and out, in and out. He moves in to stay. And when he moves in, he brings his own furniture. He doesn't want your old couch and all that nasty stuff. He moves all that out. He brings everything you need. I do love the Holy Spirit. And I need the Holy Spirit at this moment. In case you're wondering, you need him at this moment too. Oh, it's not just preachers that need him. We need him. And that dear old saint said to me, I've been praying, preacher. She was intense. We need some of that again. She said, I've been praying for a Holy Ghost revival. And I said, God bless you, sister. I said, I'm praying for the same thing. And then she spun around and she said something to me, asked me something no one's ever asked me. She said to me, what does that look like? That's a great question. It's a question at that moment I didn't feel like I could answer. What does that look like? I've been a student of revival movements and things in history for years. Tried to read everything I get my hands on, and I'm interested in all of that. Does that really describe it? I mean, does that really get to the heart of it, or are we just talking about the peripheral things? It haunted me, really. (laughs) For several days, that woman's question just over and over and over in my mind, what does that look like? If a Holy Ghost revival came to this church, what would change? Somebody said, well, there's nothing needs to be changed here. You think so? See, because if we ever think that, (laughs) we'll never have revival. I don't think some people really want revival. I mean, we say we want it. Excuse me. Let me tell you what we really mean when we say we want revival. We mean that we want our nice, comfortable American Christianity to go on for as long as possible without persecution so we can enjoy all the blessings of God. That's not revival. As a matter of fact, revival flourished in days of persecution and in periods where churches didn't have beautiful facilities and all the comforts and conveniences that we have. As a matter of fact, when real revival comes, it doesn't leave you the same. It changes everything. What does it look like? If the Holy Ghost revival came to this town, what would change? Somebody says, oh, lots of people would be saved. I think lots of people would be saved, but that's not the first thing that would happen because judgment begins first at the house of God. If the Holy Ghost revival came to your family, what would be different? If the Holy Ghost revival swept through your own soul, what would be transformed? What does that look like? And I want to tell you tonight in a word what I think a Holy Ghost revival looks like. For the last several weeks, I've been thinking and praying on it. And I've come to this conclusion, that a Holy Ghost revival looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. That if the Holy Spirit ever gets his way and real revival comes, let me tell you what happens. The Holy Ghost gets everything out that doesn't look like Jesus and says, that's not like Christ. We're going to get rid of that. And he puts everything in that does look like Jesus. And he begins to form the very image of Christ in us and conform us to the image of God's own Son until in the end, the only one that is seen and known and loved and admired is Jesus. And one mark that revival has not come 
is that we spend most of our time talking about men. And when revival comes, people want to talk about Jesus. And I'm very grateful for people after a meeting saying your message was a blessing or that was a help to me or whatever. That's, that's appreciated. But let me tell you, the greatest meetings I've ever been in, the greatest meetings, at the end of it, no one said, that was a great sermon. People left saying, what a wonderful Savior we have. All eyes on Jesus. See, nobody, nobody recorded for us what Peter said in the upper room. Do you see there? Do you see there what they said? No. Nobody says who sang or who delivered the message. The only message that was really important was the one Jesus had to bring. It was now Jesus is standing, look where he is, in the midst. Would you mark this phrase in your Bible? In verse number 19, Jesus came and stood. Where is he standing, church? In the midst. Come down to verse number 26. When he comes back, Jesus comes, the door's being shut, and stood. Where does he stand, church? In the midst. Listen to me. Jesus always comes in the midst. You know what in the midst is? Let me use a deep West Virginia theological term. Right smack dab in the middle of everything. You know what it means? It means everything's revolving around him. Matter of fact, hold your place here. Just hold your place here a second. Go back with me to the Psalms for a moment, would you please? Come to Psalm 138. Let me show you where revival comes. Would you like to know when it comes? Look at Psalm 138. Verse 6, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. And I want to pause and say, oh, Lord, I don't want to know you at a distance. I want to get close. Dr. Frank Sales used to say, thank God for everything the Lord uses to humble you. Every now and then, God will pop your bubble and bring you low. Thank God for that. Some of you, the Lord's using something right now, driving you to wit's end, letting you be in an upper room, wringing your hands, trying to figure out what the future is and what direction to take and what decision to make. Won't you stop and just say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me there because the end of me is the beginning of him. Here's the verse. Look at verse 7. Though, <laughs> though I walk in the what, church? In the midst of trouble, thou wilt what? Watch it. It doesn't say after the trouble he revives you. Where does he revive you? He revives you where? In the midst of trouble. Matter of fact, I've marked in my Bible the word though and the word thou. Which one do you think greater? Thou is. God is bigger than your circumstances. A man called me. Yesterday, I guess it was, from Canada. Not long ago, I was in a meeting speaking at a prayer conference in French-speaking Quebec, Canada, and I met this man. He's a kind Christian man. He called me yesterday, and he said, I'm really dealing with some big trouble. I'm dealing with some things, and I'm just praying, and I'm waiting on God. Help me pray. And I said to my brother on the phone, something God has taught me even in recent years is this, watch please, that the victory doesn't come after the battle. It comes in the midst of the battle. It doesn't come when circumstances get better. See, we get this idea, if we can get all of our ducks in a row, the Lord can show up. That's not the way God works. Watch this. God steps right into the middle of our mess. He didn't let Adam and Eve finish their fig leaf aprons. He just came right in the middle of their mess in the middle of the garden. That's the way Jesus works. He always shows up where, church? In the 
midst. And here are these disciples in the midst of their fear and in the midst of their trouble and in the midst of their doubt and in the midst of their uncertainty. But wait a minute, that's not all that's there. Jesus is in the midst. The first time we see him as a 12-year-old boy, where do they find him in the temple? Do you remember? Where did they find him in the temple? He's sitting in the midst of the doctors just hearing them but answering their questions. He's right in the middle of all those religious people telling them what it's really all about. There he is. Can you see him? Look at him over there. It's middle of the night, and the disciples are toiling and rolling, and the ship's tossing everywhere, and you've never seen such a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Where's Jesus? Read it for yourself in the gospel records. The Bible says, in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Isn't that just like Jesus, right in the midst? Here they come, dragging that woman. Do you see her? She's throwing a sheet around her body, and she's terribly ashamed and embarrassed because they caught her in adultery in the very act. And they circle her around, and she's right there in the midst, and they're all going to stone her. And they're waiting on Jesus to say, all right, let her have it. And what does Jesus do? Oh, I love this. He gets right down there in the midst with her. I've heard preachers preach for years about what he wrote on the ground. Can I tell you? You ready for this? We don't know what he wrote on the ground. Let me tell you something even better. It doesn't matter. The thing was not what he wrote, it's where he was. Where was he? Watch this. Thank you, Lord. He was right down there in the dirt with her. He came to her. He's in the midst. He's eye level with her. Why? Because that's where Jesus likes to be. On our way back to our text, let me show you something. Go back to the gospel records just for a second. Stop off in John chapter number 19. I like it. Oh, I love it. Before you get to the empty tomb in the upper room, you've got to stop off at Calvary, don't you think? Look at John chapter 19, and verse 17. He bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one. And where is Jesus, church? Jesus where? Praise God, he's in the midst. Notice where he is. He's in the midst of sinners. There's a criminal on one side and a criminal on the other. Did you know the Roman government always puts the, put the worst criminal in the middle? Three crosses on a hill. Do you know why Jesus is in the middle? Because they said he's the worst. Whew. Oh, no. He's the best man that ever walked the earth. He's the God man. Wait a minute, he took upon himself our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I was meditating on this this week. Why did the father allow his son to be right in the middle of two criminals and suddenly it dawned on me, watch, that with both hands he's reaching to a sinner. And on one hand, he's reaching to a sinner that repented and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And on the other hand, he's reaching to a man that cast the same in his teeth and said, if you're really the Christ, why don't you come down from the cross and save all of us? But watch this, please. While some accept and some reject, God loves all people and Jesus reaches to every sinner. Where's Jesus? Praise God. He's in the midst. And when you come back to our text in John chapter 20, where does he show up? In the midst. I want to give you three simple thoughts tonight about what happens when revival comes. And then we're going to end with an old-fashioned prayer meeting. And we're going to pray tonight that God will send a real revival. Here's the first thing. Would you write it down? Number one, when revival comes, you recognize his presence. 
It's really not about you being in the presence of everybody else and everybody seeing you or you seeing everybody else. No, it's all about Jesus, all eyes on Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to these men? He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the what? Huh, same word, in the midst of them. And there's just a handful of these men Eleven, best we can tell at this particular time in the upper room because Judas, Judas has already gone to hell. He's gone to his own place. And eleven frightened men are sitting in a room all alone wondering where God is. And I love this thought. We have this idea that we got to go seeking for the Lord, that he's out yonder somewhere. we we got to get to him. No, no, friend. What you've got to do is recognize the presence of Christ right where you are. And I want to say to you, Jesus is here tonight. Oh, yes, he is. He's in this room. Jesus is here. And the sad reality is that sometimes we even go through church and don't recognize him. I preached one night. Can't even remember where I was. We had a good meeting. It was a sweet meeting, but something was missing. Preachers will know what I mean by that. Something was missing. I got back to my room by myself, and I was laying in bed, and I just said to the Lord, Lord, I'm glad I get to preach the Bible, but something was missing tonight. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Jesus was missing. And I thought of the message that I had brought. Oh, it was a Bible message. It all came from the Bible. But it missed Jesus. I left Christ in it. I started preaching as a teenager. Still remember the first sermon I ever preached. I was 12. All the little grandmas and grandpas told me it was the greatest sermon they'd ever heard. They lied to me. That's what they did. They encouraged me. When you're a kid preacher starting out, everybody's really enamored by that. And I remember preaching in a church one night. I couldn't even drive a car. My dad had driven me to the meeting to preach, and I finished preaching and shaking hands with people. We got in the car, and Dad didn't say anything. For a long time, he didn't say anything. Finally, I was concerned. I wanted to know what he thought, wanted his approval. I said to him, Dad, what did you think of the message? He was quiet for a moment, and then he said these words. He said, you didn't talk enough about Jesus tonight. He said, you talked too much about yourself. Hurt me. Helped me. And he said to me, son, when you get up to speak, people don't need to hear about you. He said, but they sure need to hear about Jesus. And I think sometimes we sing, but there's no Christ in it. We preach, but there's no Christ in it. We pray, but there's no Christ in it. We go through our religious motions, but we fail to recognize consciously the presence of Jesus Christ. By the way, resurrection power doesn't just work at the tomb. It works in the upper room. And it doesn't just work in the morning. It works in the evening. And it doesn't just work in a big crowd. It works when you're all by yourself. And it doesn't just work when you're excited. It works when you're afraid. When you begin to recognize consciously the presence of Christ every day, at that moment, you have resurrection power available to you and living out through your life. And I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Are you living consciously in the presence of a risen Christ? You say, well, sure, we've been enjoying that all day today, preacher. Good. So let's go a step further. Tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off, will you be living consciously in the presence of the risen Christ? Because I want to say to you on the authority of the Word of God, He'll be just as real tomorrow morning as He is tonight. 
if you'll recognize consciously his presence. Here's the second thing that happens when revival comes. Not only do we recognize his presence, but secondly, we recapture his purpose. Notice what Jesus says to them. He doesn't just make them feel better. See, that's what people want. Pardon me, but sometimes I go to churches where all they want is for me to get up and give them something to make them feel better. Let me tell you something. The goal is not our comfort. It's his glory. And if all we want is something to give a little tingle up our spine, make us feel better, then we've missed the point because the goal is not us. The goal is always God. His program in the world, what's his program? Look what Jesus says. He says in verse 21, when he says to them the second time, peace be unto you. Then he says, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to know that I'm giving you peace, but I don't want it to stop with you. He's saying, I'm giving you something, but I don't want you to keep it to yourself. Look, God never intended his children to be depositories. He intended us to be channels. We were talking earlier today about being in Bible lands and years ago. We were in Amman, Jordan. We were training Iraqi pastors who were going back into Baghdad, actually, to start Baptist churches after the fall. It's an amazing trip for many reasons, but on the last day, a Jordanian pastor said to me, and my father who was with me, he said, I, we want to show you some things, and he drove us and showed us Petra, and he showed us Mount Nebo where Moses looked over into the promised land and lots of neat things, amazing things. We ended our day at a beautiful body of water. It was beautiful. I can see it in my mind now. We walked down to the water's edge, and the sun was about to set, and it was glistening on the water, and it just looked beautiful, pristine. I reached down, cupped some in my hand, and put it to my mouth, and <laughs> spit it right back out. And the Jordanian pastor laughed and said, Welcome to the Dead Sea. And it wasn't salty. It was bitter. And then that pastor said something to me I've never forgotten. He said, if I took you up several miles upstream, he said, because of deterioration, it doesn't happen so much now. He said, but for centuries, the, the Nile River actually flowed, or the Jordan River, rather, Jordan River flowed into the Dead Sea. And he said, the amazing thing was that living things were constantly flowing into this body of water. He said, but the problem was nothing ever flowed out. And then he said these words. He said, life always becomes death when it's kept to itself. And I've thought so many times about how many times we have a revival meeting and we get more sermons and more preaching and more Bible knowledge and more stirred up, but nothing ever flows out. Is it any wonder that when people have spent their whole life in church, sometimes they get sour? And every now and then they even leave a church. That probably never happens to you, but every now and then they would leave a church. I grew up in a preacher's home. Somebody would leave a church and they'd go out the back door and they'd say something like this, well, we just weren't getting fed there. I learned something. The big problem usually is not that they weren't getting fed. The problem was they never learned to feed anybody else. And see, God never intended life to be kept to ourselves. He intended us to share it with others watching. And if you recapture God's purpose, Jesus says, I want you to know that what you've received, you're to relay to someone else. And as I was sent, now you are sent into a lost and dying world. What is God's program? God's program is that every believer go with the gospel. You want to reach this town for Christ? It'll never happen through evangelistic meetings. Even if we had a big evangelistic meeting and saw a lot of people saved, you could never reach everybody through those kind of corporate meetings. God's way is person to person, the gospel being given and people being brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God's purpose must be recaptured. He says, so send I you. Matter of fact, mark two words. I want you to circle the word send in verse 21. That's our mission. God is sending us. And then come to verse 23. This is a sobering verse. Matter of fact, I looked at it again today, and it's, it's, it almost makes you tremble. Jesus said, whosoever sins, circle the word sins, watch. If sending is our mission, then sins tells us something about our message. Whosoever sins ye remit, they're remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they're retained. Let me tell you what the Catholic Church says. The Catholic Church says that that gives the power of absolution to a priest. Friend, there's only one priest, and his name is Jesus. This is not about absolution. This is about declaration. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying to the disciples. He's saying, if you want people to be saved from their sins, you've got to tell them. And if you refuse to tell them, they're going to die in their sins and be lost for eternity. Watch this. The power of the gospel of Christ and of eternity is in our hands. And I know about you, that's sobering. That's serious business to me. This is not a game. It's a dying world that needs a revived church. And when revival comes, we recapture his purpose. Here's the third and final thing. Would you write it down? When revival comes, we not only recognize his presence and recapture his purpose, but number three, we receive his power. Aren't you glad he gives the power to do the purpose? You can't do the work on your own, friend. Where does the power come from? Well, look at verse Look at verse number 22. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, let me just get this out of the way. I understand this is pre-Pentecost, and I understand on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was given to every believer. Aren't you glad for that? And I don't have to seek him as far as his person is concerned because he lives inside of me. He resides in me. By the way, when was the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm serious. Somebody says, I don't know. I don't know about that, preacher. Oh, really? Well, he's a real person, and he lives in your house. How many of you think it would be odd if somebody moved into your house 40 years ago and you never talked to him? Sounds like some marriages, but that's another message entirely. We'll save that for another night. Don't you think it odd some of us have been saved 40 years and never talked to the person of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us? That seems odd to me. He talks to you, doesn't he? You ever answer? No, what we do, we relegate him to one little room of the house, and we say, all right, now this is your place. This is your room. Enjoy your room. And the Holy Ghost said, I didn't come to move into the room. I came in to take over the whole house. This house belongs to me now. And I tell you this, I believe so many of God's children are not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. May I ask you a deeply personal question? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment? At this moment. I didn't ask, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by Him? I didn't ask, do you hope to be? Do you want to be? Does somebody else think you are? I'm asking you right now, are you a Spirit-filled Christian? Because I want you to know, Spirit-filled Christians, they're different in their homes. Spirit-filled Christians are the ones who make a difference in a town. Spirit-filled Christians are the ones who bring sinners to Jesus. Spirit-filled Christians are the ones who get a burden for the lost and can weep over souls. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does, you see. Spirit-filled Christians love Jesus and love talking about Him. And nobody's got to pump them up and prime them up and pick them up to do it. They just want to because they love Christ. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through them. 
And I wonder, when was the last time you sensed the sweet stirring of the Holy Spirit on your own heart? It's a beautiful picture. Jesus, he just went. Somebody said, that's kind of weird, don't you think? Oh, not at all. See, he's the creator God. And in Genesis, when he first made man the first time and formed him with his own hands, the only thing he ever formed with his own hands was man, a picture of the fact God always intended our life to be in his hand. You know what he did? He went, and he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to know that without the breath of the Holy Spirit, you can't be the husband and the wife and the father and the mother and the business owner and the worker and the friend and the neighbor and the witness and the church member that you ought to be. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be the person God saved you to be. God said to Ezekiel, go out there, Ezekiel, prophesy to those bones. Ezekiel is out there preaching to the bones. He said, that's kind of weird. I think I'm starting to understand what he did because you're speaking to people that have just kind of gone to sleep, the dead. Thank God your church has life in it. I said to someone on the phone today, they said, where are you? And I told them, I said, you know, there's life in this church. I like that. But we got enough of our own dead bones, don't you think? And preachers stand up and preach the word of God and prophesy to the dead bones. But listen to me. Until the wind came. You read it in Ezekiel 37, verse number 9. Till the wind came from the four corners and those dead bones didn't have life in them. And I want you to know we could have a six-week revival meeting and I could preach till I'm blue in the face and my voice is gone, but if the Holy Ghost didn't move on our heart and fill our lives, wall is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so he says to these disciples, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 with me just a minute. I'm almost done. Look at Romans chapter 8. We talk about the resurrection. Remember, resurrection equals revival. We talk about the resurrection. Everybody talks about Jesus. But I'll remind you, all three members of the Godhead were a part of the resurrection. See, you can't chop God up. He's one God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. But, oh, I thank you for this, Lord. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I don't know how it happened that morning. Somewhere in the stillness of that garden tomb, the wind blew. And the sweet Holy Spirit of God roused the beautiful Son of God and said, the Father says, it's time to get up. And at that moment, resurrection power was released in that tomb. And I want you to know, if we could get God's people to realize that that same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the resurrection lives inside of them. Oh, there's no limit to what we could see God do. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me illustrate. I hope I put on good socks today. See that shoe? That's a nice shoe, isn't it? It is a nice shoe. All shined up for church. That shoe is bought and paid for. It's good. I'm making payments on other things, but these are paid for. They actually were a gift. 
Bought and paid for by somebody else. Walk to the back of this auditorium. I said, get up and walk to the back of the auditorium. How many of you think we're going to be here a while? Somebody said, the preacher lost his mind. Oh, no, 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 no. I can preach to it. I can scream at it. Nothing happens. But fill it with me. And suddenly, it will do whatever I want it to do. Because it's operating now on my power and not its own. Let me tell you what we got. We got churches filled with people, pardon me, all dressed up for church. Spit, shine, and polished. Bought and paid for by somebody else. Sitting on church pews. Trying to get preachers to come through town and preach a good enough sermon to get them to start tithing. Uh, preach a passionate enough sermon and give them a burden for souls. Get, get them excited about reading instead of them praying again. And we yell and we scream and we go through our motions and nothing happens. It's dead. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. You let those people get filled with God. And they'll do everything the Holy Spirit wants them to do. And there's not a sermon I can preach this week that will make you the man or woman God wants you to be. But you get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, start living in His presence every day, get engaged with what He's doing in this world, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, resurrection, revival power will be seen in your life, in this church, and in this town, because that's the way God always works. And I wonder, do we really want that? If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.